You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Yeah, they, they're setting the bar real low on celebrations here. <laughs> oh, man. They actually... I'm sorry. That, that's a really bad dad joke, and I'm not even a dad. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. Ready, set, put. Brazilian tie, Travis Curra. Today, semifinal Sunday was fun. It was certainly interesting. Where, Brazilian tie, are you coming from today? Beautiful Fort Mac? If beautiful is a, a loose term. <laughs> How is Fort Mac treating you? Uh, not, not too shabby. I haven't really gone anywhere except my hotel room and the bar across the parking lot in the hotel today for lunch. I wouldn't expect anything less, buddy. Well, I needed, a, I needed a good clubhouse. I ate three pizzas in the last two days and figured it was time to change it up. <laughs> three pizzas in two days. Now, what size are these pizzas? <laughs> Just smalls from Boston Pizza. So what are those, 10-inch? Okay, so that's not too bad. No, and I, I also ordered a 12-pack of mug root beer last night, and I've only got four left. And pizza has every food group in it. No, because I don't get... Oh, I guess the tomatoes are vegetables. Yeah, tomato sauce. sauce. <laughs> yeah, because I was going to say, all I get is meat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm feeling okay today. Yesterday was a little bit woozy to start the day, but Trues and Big Sugar, I checked them out on Friday night. I still have a voice today, so that's good. Thank you to my beautiful wife for saving my ass and picking me up and going for burgers and McNuggets <laughs> and all that good stuff you do. I, I realize I, I still have a very young liver and a very fast recovery time so i learned that about myself i will still be bringing it at the great cup in a couple weeks in ottawa so i'm glad i can still bring it you started a little later than i did yeah you have more mileage you have more mileage on that old liver of yours (laughs) and it is not highway miles either (laughs) yeah mine is and i got that synthetic (laughs) oil changes too let's talk football In the huddle on the Two It Out podcast. I actually want to start with uh, some Canadian university football, and it's really too bad. There's a really unfortunate situation going on in university football right now across this country. The 110th Yates Cup went down. It wasn't much of a game. There was a bunch of snow on the field. Actually, Western Mustangs players were shoveling the field off. Uh, helping, uh, you know, clear the field before the game. But they smashed Laurier 75-32. Wasn't much of a game. Uh, Laval and Montreal, that was another tough game. Laval wins their 14th Dunsmore Cup by winning 25-22. The game of the weekend, maybe all across all levels of football, was Calgary winning the Hardy Cup over UBC off of a really long field goal. Nico DeFonte from 59 yards. Yes, that's right, 59 yards for a Hardy Cup. Kick is up. Does it have the leg? It does! Are you kidding me? Nico DeFonte from 59 yards to win the 81st Hardy Cup. I don't know how to put this in perspective. Say football was like golf and you picked up where you left off to kick again. It might take me four tries to kick a 60-yarder. <laughs> Kicking it 15 yards at a time. That's impressive. 
it would take it'd be like a scramble for the two of us. <laughs> best ball, we'd still take or bet, four alternate times. shot. Yeah, it would take it still take four times to get there. I don't have the greatest like that. That's that's incredible. It is, and the the best part that I the well not the best part the part that I found the funniest is that Dustin Nielsen had to call that game. Yeah, and. He calls Golden Bears games during the regular season, so we had to go down to Calgary and call a Dinos game where they won on that play. Granted, he even said on Twitter, like, privileged to be able to call that and everything. I just like the fact that an Edmonton guy had to call a Calgary game and they won <laughs> after Calgary beat them already. It was, I, just found that, I just found the irony there a little thick. I like it. Uh, and where was the Loney Bowl, you asked? <laughs> <laughs> this is a disgrace. Quite frankly, uh, Acadia and St. Mary's were supposed to play, but there was a bit of an eligibility question here. I don't know if you've heard the story. Basically, a St. Mary's player was on the Saskatchewan Rough Riders practice roster until October of last year. Now, that means any former CFL player, even if you're on a practice roster after August 15th, you have to play. You have to wait one year before playing for a university team. Obviously, he didn't wait that one year. Uh, so the St. Mary's in Acadia game that was supposed to happen was canceled on Thursday by the Atlantic University S- Sport Commission. That is uh, embarrassing. How how does it go this long and nobody says anything? Exactly. That's what I find the most embarrassing. Not that every team is going to try to sneak stuff like that through. And if you're not going to at least try it, well, then if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. But the fact that you get all the way to your conference final and then it gets brought up by the commission is a joke. This This issue could have been dealt with Way earlier in the year, after the first game, they would have known. They they should have seen the eligibility issue the first game he suited up. So the fact that they wait till now, or maybe they didn't know that that just shows the ineptitude of that of that whole board, so to speak. Just that that's embarrassing that you don't catch that until now. You think they would be able to come up with some sort of decision? I don't know. Do you, do you ban St. Mary's and let another team come into the game? But then, you know, what if they win? It, it, I know the decision is hard, but canceling the game is so, so wrong. So what's going to happen here? Uh, Remembrance Day was spent in a courtroom in Halifax about six hours. And the court has ordered for this game to be played because you're screwing the kids over. You know, these some oh, of these yeah, kids, sure. it's going to be their last football game ever, never mind, you know, last in university. So now this well, game... Wh- why should those kids have? Why should those kids get punished for something the coaching staff or the AD did at that school and had nothing to do with them? Yeah. Right? Like... I mean, I, I guess I kind of... Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I get canceling the game. Anyway, the game is going to be played on Tuesday, and then they're going to have to play again on Saturday. <laughs> so it's going to be tough on whoever wins this game either way. Yeah, that's a quick turnaround. It's going to suck for whoever wins. Um, that That's just the nature of what happened and what went on. Uh, I, 
I understand not wanting to cancel a game, but at some point, common sense has to prevail. Like you can't play; it's hard enough to play a game on five or six days rest, but turn around and do it again in four is a little ridiculous to me. We'll ask the Red Blacks. <laughs> they get the short end of the stick every year. It seems <laughs> either them or Toronto. One of those two teams ends up playing four games in seventeen days, and then wonder why they go on a losing streak. So this coming Saturday, it will be Laval in Calgary uh, for the Mitchell Bowl. And then it will be Western versus the the winner of Acadia and uh, St. Mary's. I I think they'll probably get smashed by Western anyway. Um, is that fair I to would say? I think so. <laughs> yeah, but uh, those teams are still going to be beat up when it comes to the game uh, this weekend anyway. Now let's talk about CFL football. The first the first one was the Eastern semifinal. The Riders. Go into Ottawa and take it to the Red Blacks. 21 to 8 halftime lead. 38 year old out of Detroit, Michigan. Good run here. A roll by Thigpen. Daylight. Green light. Could take it to the house. He will. Touchdown, Saskatchewan. Marcus Thigpen. That was a dandy of a run and a dandy of a game for the Saskatchewan Roughriders who win 31-20. to The first three possessions of this game were scores. Uh, the Riders marched down the field the first drive of the game, and I'm thinking, wow, this is going to be an unreal game. Bakari Grant gets the first touchdown of the game. Ottawa comes back with a touchdown to Deontay Spencer, a 56-yarder. They get the two-point conversion. Then Saskatchewan comes back, marches down the field again. Quarterback Kevin Glenn runs for a sneak there. So he had, uh, it felt like he had about 400 yards in this game. But it wasn't quite the case. No, uh, you know, eighteen of twenty-eight for two hundred fifty-two with a TD, uh, tacked on another ten rushing yards. But it looked like it might have been the best game he's played this year. Oh yeah, but the numbers didn't bear that out. No, the numbers did not bear it out for Kevin Glenn here. But he did have a great performance here. He shredded that Ottawa defense. Actually, it's a cool thing. This this game, uh, the first three possessions went for touchdowns. First playoff game uh, to happen in CFL history. But a side note on Kevin Glenn. He, <laughs> it's a 17-year career, man. And the debate happened earlier this season. I think he has over 60,000. Oh, here we go. <laughs> he had over 60,000 passing yards. This might be his very last run and uh, last chance to get that ring. He started for Calgary in 2012, the 100th Grey Cup uh, against Toronto in Toronto, and he would have started for Winnipeg in 07, also in Toronto, but he broke his arm in the East Final. If he gets a ring on that finger this year, is he a Hall of Famer? You're really going to make me change my argument, aren't you? If he does get a ring, <laughs> he is, isn't he? Uh, the ring doesn't matter to me, to it be honest doesn't. With you. Uh, no. I just, I just have a problem with the amount of picks that he throws. But when you look at Brett Favre, I think has leads the leads the professional football in interceptions thrown, yeah, and he he's a Hall ton. of Famer. <laughs> um, so I, it, it's it'd be hard to keep him out of there now, regardless. Not 
it, it, getting a ring, I, I don't think makes a guy a Hall of Famer. Um, if Gretzky never won a cup, but still put up the numbers he did, would he be in the Hall of Fame? Dan Marino doesn't have one. Exactly. Yeah, uh, you don't need a ring to get in there. Um, it's the numbers are there. I just don't like the amount of picks, but like I said, with the Brett Favre argument, so yeah, he's he's got to go. I do wonder he, if they're going to start kind of rallying around him a little bit uh, for this run of the playoffs. I know in the last little until while, he make, until he makes two mistakes and Chris Jones pulls him for Brandon Bridge. I know, and I, I do think Toronto, and this is a very intriguing game, uh, the East Final. We'll talk about it later on. Corey Chamberlain, their defensive coordinator, the former coach of the Riders. I think they're going to be able to get more pressure to Kevin Glenn, so we'll see if he can go start to finish in the East Final. But uh, I wonder if they're going to kind of rally around KG a little bit and uh, try to get him that ring on that finger of his. It it would be it would be nice to see the guy's been around for so long. He's been a part of every organization um, except for the Eskimos. Yeah. So may, maybe maybe he comes back next year as their third stringer, uh, just just to get that. Uh, but yeah, to see him get a great cup would be would be really nice. Um, He's so hard to hate. Yeah, he is. Right? He's just such a nice guy. Um, even when he was a bomber, he was hard to hate as a diehard Ryder fan. But him him getting a great cup would be huge. Um, and like you said, that team ra- could rally around him and use it as a as a point to to really get on a roll here for these next two games and try to get him that ring. So it would be nice to see. But back to this game, the East semifinal. I, I think the turning point in this one had to be... Greg Ellingson uh, going down with that knee injury. That's huge. He's your number one target. Um, it may, means Deontay Spencer is going to get a lot more looks. And Harris, or not Harris, sorry. Or yeah, Trevor Harris didn't have anybody else to throw to. Um, it, you got to put the hand. You got to put the ball in the hands of your playmaker. And Ellingson not being in the lineup means that it's got to be Deontay Spencer. And the Saskatchewan defense was able to just hone in on him, and they were able to shut that down. And uh, they were also able to shut down Powell, and to shut down both those guys in the same game is something. There's something to be said about that. And absolutely massive props to Ellingson, who comes out and is a warrior through this game. You you, you hear guys playing hurt and playing injured. There is a difference there. Ellingson was playing injured, and he's limping in between plays. You can tell every hit is just crushing him out there he still had four catches for 52 yards but Ottawa's offense turned really one-dimensional after that I know uh, Deontay Spencer is a crazy weapon he had nine for 157 he also had a pile of return yards again he had 37 off punts and 98 off of kickoff returns maybe next season because at the beginning of this year Ottawa they didn't really utilize Spencer all that much. He had 300 and some re- uh, receiving yards in the first what nine games of the season, and he had he had that many yards last week. <laughs> the- Look at the weapons they had, though. He's he's not your number one or number two guy when you have Sinopoli and Ellingson in that receiving court. Yeah. So it's a little tough to get him the ball, and you still want to be able to establish a run with whoever you're putting back there. It seems it's a re- it's a revolving door for the Red Blacks until. Powell was able to stay healthy. So, you know, as a third receiver, you're really the fourth option. Um, Game situation, of course, changes that. But, yeah, he's proving that, you know, he's a viable weapon in this league. 
Yeah, Powell only had eight carries or 50 yards in this one. And, I mean, that looks good for a, you know, maybe a first half or a first quarter. But, like you said, game flow really took him out of this game for the Red Blacks. And he has really become uh, a world beater for this team. Uh, They kind of rotated him in and out early in the year. I know he did get hurt but man once they figured out how to use William Powell he became one of the best running backs in the entire league he had uh, over a thousand yards on the ground and completely beat up the riders in the two games they played this year oh yeah they did not they did not have an answer for him they were lucky to split that series so you know him only getting eight carries kind of shows maybe how the game was at that point too it's hard to run the ball when you're when you're down by more than a score, um, on the other hand, it's really easy to just focus on the run if you can't, or focus on the passing game if you, if the uh, offense can't run the ball. Kreiner had another good one, 11 for 102 for him. And, I mean, if they can keep him on the field all next season, Spencer figure out how to use him, of course, a healthy Ellingson and Sinopoli, then, you know, things are looking good for Ottawa. But you go to the other side of the ball, things aren't looking very good for the Ottawa Red Blacks when you go to the defensive side. No, it <laughs> that's an understatement really. Just it seems like nobody wants to play defense. But that, I don't know what else to say about it. Like it, it they get torched every time somebody seen every time Kevin Glenn dropped back, he had at least two options he could throw to and the way he was throwing the ball all those passes were getting completed. And you know what? Even last year, they didn't have the best defense out there, but they made plays when they had to. They, they did mm-hmm. it in the Grey Cup. I'm sorry, Stampeders fans, but they made the plays <laughs> that they had to when they got to the Grey Cup. Abdul Kane was a big loss for the secondary there, but, I mean, they turned the ball over four times in this one, and when you have the defense that you have and the secondary that you have and you're unable to pressure the quarterback – it is really going to hurt you. So I, I wonder how much they're going to do this offseason. I I actually don't think they're going to have to do that much tweaking when it comes to the offensive side of the ball. But if they're able to turn things around and pressure the quarterback next, uh, next year, they're going to be a lot better team. When Kevin Glenn is not pressured, even his doubters will admit he'll be able to – you know, pick apart a defense for the most part, and that's exactly what happened in this one. They couldn't get to him. Yeah, I have no problem eating crow today. Like, if he gets time, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He is, yeah, still he, he, at this age. There's something to be said for experience. Um, you know, anything a defense is going to throw at him, he's seen it. Um, if he gets time to read a defense and see what's going on, he's – He's going to rack up the yards and the points and get his team wins. Um, I don't know if it was so much the Ottawa defense as it was uh, the O-line for Saskatchewan. As the year went on, they just got better and better. And today they they only allowed six quarterback pressures and no sacks. And Saskatchewan's able to come away with a win. And Saskatchewan offense, they were big when they had to be 12 for 22 on second down. Ottawa was just 10 for 27 on 
uh, second down. That really tells the story there. I was worried in this game for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders with Brendan Labatt getting hurt the last week of the season, but it was seamless. Derek Dennis comes in on left guard, and yeah, they didn't allow them to get to Kevin Glenn, and that running game was unbelievable for the Riders' Brazilian tie. Yeah, uh, Thigpen, 169 yards on 15 carries, adds a touchdown. I had him in my lineup until about 10 minutes before kickoff. Took him out for King for France. Oh, for LaFrance, okay. Because of last year, you know, in the East, in the playoff game against Edmonton, it was like, well, he did have a big game before. It's cold weather. Go with him. Thigpen just ran rev shot all over that Ottawa defense and, you know, Keenan LaFrance got me 4.5 points today. That being said, it is a nice switch to see, or a nice change to see the Riders able to run the ball. Um, and that gets your offensive line way more involved in the game. And, you know, when they have to drop back, they're they're uh, they're just more invested. Or maybe invested is the wrong, the wrong word, but... I, I kind of attribute it to a goalie getting shots. Um, if you're not involved in the game, it's kind of it's kind of hard to come in cold. So if you're just getting punched in the mouth all day as an offensive lineman, eventually it, it, you're going to break down. But if you can if you can do the punching, at some point you're just it's almost like a little bit of a break, and you're just going to be better off when it comes to the pass game. So the Riders establishing the run like they did today, they were they were going to be tough to beat. I know Dave Dickinson and Mark Mark Tressman are your coach of the year candidates. Uh, but Chris Jones has really never given up improving this team. It was, I, I think, a criticism. Last year, there was no consistency. The roster was changing, you know, every five minutes. But when Cam Marshall goes down, they could have just went with Keenan LaFrance and gave him the ball and, you know, had a four-yard average or whatever. But they went out and got Marcus Thigpen, who was a late cut in the NFL, and he's come in, and <laughs> at the right times, he toots, he turns the burners on, and he torched Ottawa in this one, and it just got worse as the game went on. You could tell Ottawa's defense was just tired and beat up, and when that offensive line gets involved, you can't stop it, and when Thigpen can run around you, that makes you even more tired. Those hands on the hips, never want to see that from a defense. No, it, that's just now you know you've got them beat. And Ottawa's defense got beat up real big time in this one, especially on the ground, which when if you're going to engage a defense physically on the ground, you're you're going to have a really good chance of winning. Everybody's going to get tired and wore down. Um, I would like to see Saskatchewan's offense maybe be a little more up-tempo uh, to a point and maybe try to eliminate the chance for substitutions, but they got the win today, and the O-line played just unreal, in my opinion. And it was a big factor, Deron Carter back on offense. He didn't, uh, you know, steal the show. He did five catches, 51 yards, had himself a pretty nice game. But he makes more of an impact on that side of the ball. Maybe he is a better defensive back than a receiver. But we haven't seen, I don't think, enough of a sample size for that. And I, I just think it helps the rest of the receivers. Naaman Roosevelt is back, 4 for 55. Bakari Grant had the big one, 3 for 85. Jerron Carter helps every single one of those guys out when he's on offense. He's going to draw coverage, which means that there's one more guy that can't cover somebody else. Uh, granted, you still have your safeties over the top, but um, 
like you said, it, it helps out everybody else because you're going to get more favorable matchups. You you want your number one guy on Deron Carter, especially if you're Ottawa. You know what he's done to you the two games in the regular season. Uh, you don't you don't want a repeat of that, especially today. Um, so you're going to put your number one corner on him, and that just leaves favorable matchups for everybody else. And Kevin Glenn was able to take advantage of that for 252 yards today. I think we do need to give a massive props to the Ottawa Red Blacks for that Selly in the in the first quarter. Oh, jeez. <laughs> is that what they used the bye week for well they had two of them yeah they did two in the last three weeks <laughs> so maybe they could have worked on defensive line but maybe maybe not i guess <laughs> i don't want to say what they do in practice but i'm sure it was discussed <laughs> maybe this is what football players do you know at night you know, is this what they, instead of playing video games, they just plan out sellies? Bet you they go on YouTube and try <laughs> to find ones from, like, high school games that nobody's seen yet. <laughs> By the way, I don't think we've said it. It was the limbo. Uh, they yeah, act- they're setting the bar real low on celebrations here. <laughs> oh, man, they actually... I'm sorry, that, that's a really bad dad joke, and I'm not even a dad. Yeah, that was brutal. And you might never be a dad. God, uh, I hope not. <laughs> I, I won't be able to do this. Ah, no, uh, no, that's a lie. I'll just keep working on the road, and then I can do whatever I want. You can just be a terrible dad. Oh, just like mine. Okay, this is taking a turn. <laughs> I, I, am I supposed to laugh at these things? <laughs> I'm laughing. Does, does it make me a terrible friend? <laughs> oh God, no! You're okay. more of a father than my father ever was. <laughs> <laughs> I would have liked to see them use an offensive lineman as the bar, though. Oh my! Okay, <laughs> now we're getting a little ridiculous here. If they use Sir Vincent Rogers as the bar for the limbo, how awesome would have that been? I. I would be more impressed than anything when they were able to get him up there. <laughs> and did you catch that part in the game when Chris Jones, I think it was the end of the third oh. quarter, he's trying to make some defensive signals, and a TSN guy's got a perfect shot of him. And then he puts his head, get this camera out of my out face. Out of my face. Yeah, that, that's Chris Jones in a nutshell. That's classic Chris Jones. Oh, man. They, that That's the cover or not the cover, the uh, screenshot that you use or the screen grab that you're going to use for the Riders 30 for 30. <laughs> it's just him pushing the camera out of the way. Yeah, the next year, the road to the Grey Cup, the Saskatchewan or, Rough yeah, Riders. That's, yeah, that'll be, that'll be the opening scene. <laughs> um, it was, I mean, it was pretty much rider domination from the start. Um, you know, the three drives at the beginning, three scores, and then after that, the defense really took over. Uh, they got to Trevor Harris. Harris was throwing interceptions. Glenn wasn't. He kept it together. So the Riders move on to Toronto. That one is going to be tough. Now, there have been four Western crossover teams. They've all lost in the Eastern Final. We will see what happens there. What do you see happening in the offseason for the Ottawa Red Blacks? They're going to need help on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I don't know if you can find that help in the free agent market. I don't know what their salary cap Nobody knows what their salary cap is at except for them. 
which yeah. is one of the issues with the with this league. But um, I don't know if maybe a trade to trade one of your offensive weapons to get in a, somebody that can pressure the quarterback from either either the middle linebacker spot or maybe the D end. Um, you know, I I don't want to say that their secondary is 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 good enough. It's okay. Um, they just need, they just need some playmakers on that side of the ball, which they don't have right now, or guys need to step up. Um, you know, there's going to be a roster turnover anyways. It's football. There's probably going to be 15 new faces there next year. Whether or not they're on the defensive side of the ball or not is yet to be seen. But they they need to make some sort of move there to try to improve that defense. Javon Johnson was a former Ottawa Red Black. I bet you they would have liked him in the uh, secondary for this one. I do like Sherrod Baltimore. He was their Rookie of the Year uh, nominee. Uh, he'll be back, y- you hope. I do. I, I like Antoine Pruneau as well, Canadian guy in mm-hmm. the ba- back end. So, I mean, there's there are some anchors there, but the defensive line is just... Ah. You have uh, Jonathan Newsom who... You know, he can make plays here and there, but they really do need to fix things up on that side of the ball. Uh, So, yes, next week, Toronto and Saskatchewan in the Eastern Final. We go to the West Semifinal in Winnipeg. The Edmonton Eskimos win 39-32. But they're getting most of the old game back. Now it's Gable, right side. Yes, 15-yard run of the year. I don't know if he caught that play. He was stuffed at about, I don't know, was it the four-yard line? And then the offensive line comes in and bulls Gable into the end zone. Now, the the score, now it looks a lot closer than you know it really was, but... The Bombers scored two garbage-time touchdowns, including one with zero on the clock. So the Eskimos, well, at halftime, it was 10-10. After that, the Eskimos really took over, especially in the third quarter, where the Eskimos really have struggled so far this season. But in this one, I don't know if they made that a point. Let's come out of the second half looking good. But, yeah, they put up 29 in the second half. That really helped out the Eskimos. Early in the game, I thought some nice signs from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. They were very physical on this one. Uh, yeah, it was uh, It was weird to me, actually. It looked like they were beating up that Eskimo defensive line. Yeah. Um, granted, they do have Andrew Harris. He only he only had 11 carries, so that that seemed a little like it wasn't maybe enough to to get this team going. But like you said, that they just seemed like a stronger, more physical team early on in this game, and just seemed like Edmonton didn't really have an answer for it. Um, Granted, when you get to the defensive side of the ball and you're leaving guys wide open, whatever you do on offense isn't going to matter when you're giving up the points the way they did. Um, it was a nice change of scenery, though, to see Winnipeg bring the fight to the game instead of having the fight brought to them and getting smashed in the mouth. 
The Bombers' first touchdown of the game, that drive was just beautiful. It was art from uh, Paul Lapelis. They were running it down their throat with Harris. It, it just seemed like they couldn't stop him. And then they went deep to Matt Coates, had a short pass for a touchdown to uh, LaDamian Washington. So it was a beautiful drive by the Bombers. But after that, they, they never really had that going at all. That touchdown drive... They slowly became field goals for Medlock. And if you're going to keep up with the Edmonton Eskimos, you have to finish your drives. You can't just rely on Justin Medlock's leg. No, it was not, it was a good bounce back for Medlock. He was perfect on the day, but you don't want your, your field goal kicker in a playoff game to have a bunch of opportunities to kick field goals. You'd rather be scoring touchdowns. Um, I think a lot of that can be uh, attributed to Mike Benavides. He's made the adjustments he needed to, uh, didn't wait for halftime to have to make those adjustments. They were able to make them on the fly, and his players responded and picked them up and made the plays when they had to make the plays and were able to keep that, a well, a 10-10 game at halftime, like you said, and then just, they were able to come out in the second half and just, just wallop the Bombers. I do think that they needed to get Harris the ball more here. 11 carries, 77 yards. Seven yeah. yards per carry, and it's not like he had, you know, a 40-yard run and then 10 carries for 30. He His longest run of the day was 17 yards, so every time he got the ball, he was ch- getting chunks of yards left and right. But early in the game, in, in the third quarter, they just stopped giving the ball, I thought, when they needed to, and maybe they were getting a little cute, you know, trying to, uh, you know, make these passes to keep the Eskimo defense off balance. I understand you need to do that, but uh, you really needed to give it to Harris because it's no secret. Matt Nichols was hurt, hurting in this one with that calf injury, and I, I thought they could have leaned on Harris even more in this one. With Devar- With Adams out of the lineup, is Harris not your best offensive weapon? Oh, yeah. They, they had to use him more. They didn't throw him the ball all that often, but when they 11, did, he got they had 15 success. touches today. 15. Like, he, <laughs> 11 carries is not enough. Sorry. Especially when he's averaging seven yards a carry. Give this guy the ball. Let him keep running. Um, you know, he's, he's got that penchant to break one and get you 20, 25 yards. He. he he gets first downs like it's his job because it is his job to get this football team first downs, and they went away from it early, and they were never able to recover on the offensive side. I was shocked that uh, I, I was shocked that he didn't get twenty five touches in this one with a banged up Matt Nichols. I thought they were C.J. Gable. On the other hand, he had twenty one touches, sixteen carries, hundred and seven yards. He had the five carry or uh, four. Four uh, catches, five targets. He had 37 yards in the air. But the Bomber offense, I'll admit, they, they moved the ball better than I thought they would. I thought it was a good performance from Matt Nichols. 35 of 48 for 371 yards. No interceptions. Three touchdowns. I don't think that's much of a game manager game, especially when he, your leg's killing you. How did I know you were going to say that? <laughs> I had to. I think Matt Nichols deserves a lot of credit. Oh, I'm not I'm not saying he doesn't. There was garbage time. Probably exactly. Two, probably two garbage time drives in this one. 
Uh, we, we have to recognize that. Yeah, and the Eskimos were still able to cover the spread with that last-second touchdown. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> what was the spread? Three and a half. Okay, okay. So I wasn't worried. I was not worried when they scored that touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Matt, Matt Nichols, like, high percentage again today, 371 yards, three touchdowns, like you said, no picks. At, with numbers like that, you should be winning football games. You should. But when you're only going to give the ball to Andrew Harris 11 times for 77 yards and you don't have anything else to complement that passing game, it's going to be really tough on your offensive line all night to uh, to make plays for you and protect your quarterback. And, you know, the, establishing the run for Winnipeg, I thought was one of the – probably the biggest part or the biggest key to winning today because of the Nichols injury. He's not at 100%. You've got to get that ball to Harris and let your offensive line – establish the run and then it's going to be so much easier to protect your quarterback that way he's going to take way less hits he's not gonna to have to move around nearly as much but they they went away from it and it like you said earlier it doesn't make any sense to me why you wouldn't put the ball in the hand of your playmakers and props to the offensive line they were without travis bond and they still mm-hmm. uh were beaten up on that eskimo defensive line it's uh, it was a great performance from them but when you get down, uh, they abandon it. And I think in the CFL, uh, with the way the clock works, you can give up on the run a little bit later. And I think, you know, maybe some drives, a couple two and outs here and there, that really hurt them in this one. But former Hamilton Hurricane, Matt Coates, eight catches, 100 yards. That's a big, big day for the kid. Weston Dressler, he did have two touchdowns, nine catches for 114. One of them, yeah, it was in garbage time. I think simultaneously we can talk about the other side of the ball for Winnipeg while talking about Edmonton's offense, the leading receiver in the league, Brandon Zilstra, eight catches, 156 yards, and a touchdown. Mike Riley throws for 334, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. If you are a playoff team, I don't know if there's a quarterback you want more than Mike Riley. Seven games, five and two, over 1,400 yards. His touchdown-to-interception ratio 21 touchdowns, one interception. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, that is that <laughs> <And> is okay. <laughs> you left out tough as nails. Oh, that too. The Bombers beat him up in this one. They and, are and without, he just kept getting up. Yes, they are without Westerman, but Jackson Jeffcoat, he was able to get to Riley multiple times. They laid licks on the guy, and he picks himself up off the turf. They were able to run with him as well. He had 32 yards on the ground. And what stat did you have? He's got six rushing touchdowns in the last little bit here. In the last four games, he's got six rushing touchdowns. Like, that is ridiculous. He knows there's only, a f- there's only a few weeks left in the season. If he gets hurt, he can play through it, and that's the type of quarterback he is. He's It's hard not to like a guy like that. Oh, I don't th- yeah, name another quarterback in this league that you'd want to have coming into a playoff game right now. And that yeah. list is going to be short. It's probably going to be one one player on it. As much as I hate to admit it cuz he's an Eskimo. 
but at least he's not a stampeder. <laughs> uh, Darius Bowman, <laughs> three for 71. He had two touchdowns. Darrell Walker, six for 51. And this game could have been a lot better for Mike Riley. He did have 10 incompletions. At least half of those are drops by his receivers. Well, as far as I'm concerned, if you can touch the ball, you can catch the ball. That's what I was always told when I was in high school. Are you John Madden? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's it's tough to call a drop entirely the receiver's fault. Not all of them. Some were thrown behind and things like that, but some of them are very catchable. Oh, for sure, very like. But at the same time, we're human, or they're human, right? It's going to happen. Um, if the only thing that I hate is a guy will make a couple drops early in the game, nobody says anything about it. But if you were to make that one drop late in the game, now it's a big deal. They all count the same. A drop is a drop, no matter when it is. Points are points, no matter when you get them. Um, but yeah, ten drops, or sorry, ten incompletions. Like you said, a lot of them being drops. That, doesn't look very good going forward, especially against that Calgary defense where you're you're going to want to finish drives and you know you need to. But uh, they've got a week to work on it. I don't think it'll be a big issue coming up. And I know that <laughs> uh, the Stampeder defense is going to be looking at this game and they're going to say, how come we didn't have more all-stars from our secondary? Can anybody <laughs> say Tommy Campbell? Yeah, it. I don't get it. I mean, I, this I, I g- don't. <laughs> he had the lowest completion percentage against in the league. He did Didn't not give up get- a touchdown. Yeah, and this guy's not an all star. But the Bomber secondary, would you know it? They have two all stars. Well, they got numbers. Is all it is. They've got interceptions, and That's it's it the flashy at- thing. It's the easiest thing to vote for. It and it's the same thing with most outstanding defensive player. Just comes down to who's got the most tackles. Ed Ganey didn't even get a sniff, and the guy had 10 picks this year because Singleton led the league in, in tackles. Well, he get, he's the Western nominee. Like, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of thinking, not a lot of that. You just look at a couple numbers and say that's it. Nobody goes in deeper and decides what's what's more valuable. A turnover is way more valuable than a tackle in my book. But a lot of people they, they think Elamimian got uh, you know. He's getting kind of ignored here as well. I, it, it's, I think it's really hard for a guy like Singleton uh, to have that many tackles on that good of a defense. Usually, he, you, you he can plays see, a high traffic position though as middle linebacker. That is very true. But when you're up getting near to the all time record, I, I know Ella Mimian did it again. But when mm-hmm. he's not uh, on the best defense. Or and you don't have the best offense. You're on the field more. Uh, you're on the field longer. So I think it's easier if you're that guy on a bad defense to rack up those numbers and break defensive records. So some stats are kind of skewed that way. I think. Oh, for sure. For absolutely, are it's it. It's like getting. It's like finishing last, getting the best player in the draft. And he lights it up because he's your only option. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, oh, who else is gonna? Who else is gonna do anything for us? Um, Singleton had a hell of a year. I'm not. I'm not denouncing that. It's just 
everybody everybody on defense gets at least one tackle a year. I'm not saying that it's easy to do. This is a super physical game, super hard to play. I get it. Interceptions end drives. They give your team back the ball. It is more valuable than a tackle after a first down. And Ganey did it 10 times this year and didn't even get a sniff. I'll I'll take 10 picks over a bunch of tackles because I can find guys who can tackle. The teams don't run away from Singleton. A, well, maybe because they can't because he can track anybody down. But playing corner in this league is way harder than playing linebacker. It's the, the waggle, not the easy waggle to makes play it that. so hard. So hard. And Ed Ganey has, has 10 picks, 10 interceptions. Granted, four of those came in one game. That right there should have won him the Defensive Player of the Year. I think there'd, there'd probably be an argument saying that uh, even, you know, Campbell would be a better defensive player than Ed Ganey. Even if you don't have those interception numbers. Oh, yeah. that There's that as well. Um, you know, if, if you're going to make teams not even think about throwing to your side of the field or think about other options because they don't want to throw over there, that's huge for a defense too. And maybe that, that probably also helps Singleton's numbers because now guys, are they don't want to go there. They're going to try to throw underneath, and who's going to be there other than Alex Singleton playing middle linebacker? So I, this this award, to me, just it, it seems a little flawed because the defense as a whole kind of dictates what the offense does. So if you have really good corners, your middle, the middle of your defense better be just as good because that's where the majority of the plays are going to go because guys are going to want to go to the outside. And so now you become a product of your environment. I'm not saying Singleton is one of the best linebackers I've seen play. He, he is phenomenal. I just, it's a passing league to me, and I, it's so hard for the corners to play in this league that I, I just think that the award should be Ed Ganey, or even Tommy Campbell, even though he's on the same team as Singleton. Tommy Campbell not giving up a touchdown and has the lowest completion percentage against, there's something to be said for that. And the fact that he didn't get a nod is, I find that funny. And sometimes on a deep play, I know the DBs, they will go for the interception, but the smarter play is to just bat it down because, <laughs> yep. it, well, especially if it's you know a third down and you're giving up a ton of field position sometimes. Oh, absolutely. And when I when I coached hockey, we had what we called nothing plays. When when a guy's coming in on you, you you have two options: take the puck or take the man. And yep. we had a kid who tried to do both every time, and he would miss. So it was nothing. So you know, at least do one. It's better than nothing. Um, and like you said, a, a knockdown is just as good as a pick, on, especially on third down. But I'll take a knockdown and for it to force a third down than a pick and get it on my own three and end up having to punt anyways. Yeah, sometimes so. <laughs> that just makes it worse. <laughs> right? So, but, I mean, it, but that that's not on your defender either. That, that'd be on your offense at that point. I mean, if you got a chance for a pick, you got to take it. But you see a lot of guys go for picks and totally whiff on it, and all, it's an easy catch for the receiver. And to, that doesn't happen with Tommy Campbell. Uh, somehow we're talking about the bomber uh, defense here. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I, like I would have been, been fine if they just put the Calgary Stampeder defense 
as the West All-Star defense, if I'm being completely honest here. But there were a couple moments in this game where Zilstra was left wide open. Bowman was left wide open. There were some terrible busts in coverage on this defense. And I know Bomber fans are very mad. And some saying they're going to cancel their season tickets if Richie Hall is back with this team next year. I'm very interested to see where this Bomber team is going to go. Paul Lapalise is a serious candidate for a head coach in Montreal. Hey, maybe in BC. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen with Wally Buono. I think the Bombers, they have to get Noel Thorpe on the phone as soon as they can. Hmm. Yeah, probably. I think that's a pretty safe bet. Um, O'Shea's 0-4 as a head coach in the playoffs. Yeah, and, so you're you're going that way with O'Shea? It something's go something's got to happen. I don't know what it is, but it. Oh, I, for Bomber fans to say they're going to cancel season tickets because of because of Hall, I I find that hilarious. This guy has this guy's defense has proven that they can win football games. It was one game. One bad game and people are losing their minds over it. Like, you're not Ryder fans. Cool it. <laughs> Patience is very thin there. They haven't won the Grey Cup for almost 30 years, man. Yeah, 1990. Isn't it great? <laughs> I mean, that's too bad. I but. understand the frustration in Winnipeg. I can't imagine. Uh, it, it's very hard to support a team... Cubs fans, Riders fans know it. I know the last decade has been quite good. The uh, decade of darkness for the Oilers fans. That it is, which which seems like it might be back. Yeah, it <laughs> seems like <laughs> <But> it. Anyways, <laughs> so Winnipeg fans, I totally am. Uh, I, I'm sympathetic for them. I, I I really really am, and we'll see if there's big changes on the coaching staff when it comes into next season. There were some very controversial, you know, gray area calls that got Twitter up in arms. There was a very interesting play later on in the game in the second half where Winnipeg tried to get Edmonton to jump offside. Mm. Well, one of the defensive linemen jumped, but he got back before the ball was snapped. And a lot of people very mad that that didn't get called. But the the problem here is that the Bombers themselves got mad and distracted themselves and I think blew it for themselves on that play. Oh, absolutely. They lost composure. They should have snapped that ball when he jumped. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand why people cannot be mad at the officials for that. That That is exactly how that play is supposed to be called. You should be mad at your center and Matt Nichols for knocking in that ball snap to get the penalty. It's black and white. Even if Nichols is not set for that and the ball just goes 20 yards down the field, who cares? It's first down Winnipeg. Yep. Yeah, there you have nobody to be mad at other than your center and your quarterback. And Andrew Harris pulling a hissy fit? Why? What What good does that do? And there... Why? Why are people? Why do people think that should be a penalty? 
He's in the neutral zone. Yes, I can stand in the neutral zone for 19 seconds. And as long as I'm not in it when the ball is snapped and I'm not unabated to the quarterback, that's not a penalty. Because if that's the case, if, 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 if they're thinking Sewell should be called for, for offsides, well, then any time, the minute somebody puts their hand down offside, that play needs to be stopped. And it's not because you have to have that chance to come back if the ball isn't snapped. He didn't touch anybody. Uh, nobody on the if even if one of the Winnipeg linemen moves, then you then you you have that argument as where Sewell would have drawn him to move, and then the eye in the sky would have made that call. But Sewell jumps. Granted, he doesn't touch anybody. Doesn't make any contact. Nothing. Get and he stood there for two seconds. Yeah. And <laughs> nobody did a thing. I don't know what goose or <clears throat> sorry. Kusin was doing, but snap that ball. Like you're in a football game that you need to win. It's one and done now. Um, yeah, uh, like people getting mad that the, that wasn't a penalty or that no, you be mad at your center and your quarterback. It's black and white. That's it. Don't be mad at the officials for that one. And there was another moment of the game where Dressler fumbled the ball, and then. Turnovers are automatically reviewed, so it was reviewed. And then O'Shea throws the challenge flag. And then we go to commercial (laughs) and come back. And they basically said, uh, we reviewed the play, but it was already reviewed. And, of course, Andre Prue, God bless him, he he can't explain this. Best referee in the CFL. I don't care what anybody says. (laughs) He said that. He reviewed it, but we already reviewed it, so they can have their timeout and they can have their challenge back. He wasn't that... challenging the fumble. <laughs> what was he challenging? Forward progress. Oh. That forward progress was stopped. So that's completely different. So he got right? a free challenge still. He, it's I they guess it's not it completely different. He's, chal- he's throwing the flags. He wants them to. He wants them to check forward progress. He didn't know that was that that was already checked. That that's the only thing I can think of. And that, and the head of officiating came into the booth with Glenn and Chris and told them that forward progress gets reviewed in that review, even though it's not part of it. So I don't know if that's a ploy. We saw it in 07 in the Grey Cup, and everybody kind of had a good chuckle when Winnipeg got dinged for that delay of game penalty. Um, with turnovers being automatically reviewed, it's still a bit of a grayer because it – it doesn't say, or I don't know if it does, but we've never been told that everything about that play gets reviewed. As far as I understood, it was just a turnover. So there's still stuff there that could be reviewed, but if they're going to review everything, then now there's a precedent set that, okay, well, we've tried this once before. They got their challenge back, but now you, if it happens again, it's got to be a penalty. Yeah, I'm kind of shocked that he didn't get delayed a game. On uh, on that one, and there was another call. Odell Willis gets a roughing the passer call, but we've seen this all season from Matt mm-hmm. Nichols. He ducks, head contact is made. What's Odell supposed to do? And the only Odell, the only reason that they made helmet to helmet contact, Odell's helmet was going to hit Nichols in the chest. Yep. He's leading with his shoulder. It would have been everything would have been kosher. And Nichols ducks to protect himself from the hit. Since when is dropping your head protecting yourself from a hit? I, know. I don't get. I don't understand <laughs> how guys are protecting themselves when they do that. It was it was a bizarre, uh, and he's been doing it all year. It's it's nothing yeah. new from Nichols. He just does it. And 
you got. I think you got to treat roughing the passer much like the strike zone in baseball. The strike zone is when you stride in your in your batting stance, not where you're standing when the pitch is delivered, but when after you stride into a hit or into a swing, where you finish is your strike zone. It's got to be the same with roughing the passer. If I duck, well, I put my helmet, I put my head in that area. Where, like, that, that's my fault, right? It, it it's got to be. It can't, or sorry, it can't be like the strike zone. It can't be where the helmet is if he moves it there. If it's there before the hit, granted that, then yeah, you knew it was there. But Odell doesn't see that. Odell made sure he wasn't leading with the crown, made sure he tried not to hit him in the face mask. He tried to hit him in the chest below the helmet. Nichols ducks into it. What What is Odell supposed to do? Like... It, you can't keep your head up and watch him the whole way. You're going to break your neck going for tackles like that. So I think this needs to be looked at. I think if a, if a quarterback ducks, that's not a penalty in my book. I, I I don't know. Like You're all about player safety, but at some point, quarterbacks have to learn to protect themselves. You can turn away from that. You know you're getting hit. Turn away from it, protect the ball, and just go down. Don't be ducking your head into it because now you're endangering both parties with a head-to-head contact because – Let's be honest, head-to-head, the guy making the hit's just as liable to get injured as the guy getting hit. So I, I don't like it. I don't, I don't think it should have been a penalty. I get why it is. I, I just think it's, it's too much of a gray area, and it, it needs to be dealt with. This whole game changed in the third quarter when Winnipeg uh, had a fake punt, and they got stuffed, and it was all downhill from there. If they How about finished- Corey Watson on that play? Yeah, uh, big tackle from him. There was another big play on the the the. Uh, we talk about Winnipeg being physical, Edmonton physical as well. Bowman's first touchdown of the game. C.J. Gable lays a massive block on Jeff oh. Coat and just absolutely lays him out. So Edmonton was physical in this one, and Moss was prepared for that fake. The Eskimos were prepared for that fake, and it was the end of Winnipeg, I think, from that moment on. And that's O'Shea's bread and butter. Uh, he, he likes mm-hmm. the special teams tricks. It didn't work, and that changed the rest of the game for the Bombers. Uh, that, that was a huge momentum swing. Um, you know, if if the Bombers are able to convert there, um, that game looks completely different. Uh, for sure it does. But Edmonton was able to sniff that out. And Watson, with a hell of a play there, gets the turnover on downs, and Edmonton just ran away with it from there on out. So now we have the Battle of Alberta in the Western Final. We have the Argos and the Riders in the Eastern Final. We will be back Wednesday night slash Thursday morning previewing those games and any other news that pops up. I do want to give you a heads up. Uh, Tune out CFL. Our Twitter account is up for a CFL Twitter award. So right away here, they're going to post the poll up on Twitter. At CFLT Awards is the Twitter account. So throw in a vote for two and out on there. You can follow us on Twitter. Follow the CFL Twitter awards. You can follow us on Facebook as well by liking us there. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. We will talk to you later in the week. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.